You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length, members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Tyler Mead, an associate producer of the queer comedy podcast Inside the Closet, hosted by Emma Wilman and Matteo Lane. Tyler, hello. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Um, how are you? How are you doing? Who do you think is the biggest problem that we're going to tackle today? Who's your favorite? Who's your least favorite? What's going on? I mean, I certainly have a favorite subject line, and I'm going to let you guess which one. I have a sneaking suspicion that it is the shortest letter. It is. Uh, You're very right in that suspicion, because it's the funniest subject line I've ever heard on the show. It is a great subject line, and I hope future subject line letter writers um, take that into account when they hear it. But yeah, um, I tried to sprinkle in a couple of slightly more whimsical um, subjects in here, and I think I managed to pull that off today. Yeah, you did a great job. Um, I'm very excited. I feel like a lot of these have like good answers to them instead of moral gray zones, like how to not kill a dog. Yeah, yes. No, there's there's always um, a, a certain kind of relief that comes from a, a sense of, oh, I think I have a really clear answer for this one, as opposed to just life is difficult and I wish you all the best. Um, and uh, actually, I feel like the first letter is a good example of that. Um, I think that there is a clear way forward here, and I'm grateful that we're going to be able to hopefully give this person advice that will be useful. Um, the subject is hashtag me too, but not me exactly. Dear Prudence, all this Kavanaugh and me too news has affected me in ways that I don't like. When I'm hearing the news of all these assaults, I'm becoming more repulsed by men. I'm starting to take it out on my boyfriend by not wanting him to touch me sexually. I'm torn because I feel as though I should allow him to feel free to touch me, a boob grab, a playful slap on the ass, etc., because that's how I want to be able to relate to my boyfriend. My uncomfortable feelings are relatively new. Generally, I'm fine with being vocal about how men are allowed to interact with me and my body, but I suddenly feel like it's unfair to my boyfriend because it's almost an about-face with how we've always been and what I've always allowed. How can I bring this up with him without him feeling like he's a predator when he's not? So, yeah, we talked a little bit and said we think this is kind of a good, straightforward one to start with. Um, I think if the listener's boyfriend has seen the news recently, uh, they can be pretty understanding in general if you just sit down and have a talk and say, hey, this really doesn't have anything to do with you specifically. It's just we're living in a time where I'm uh, upset about how things are happening and it's affecting how I feel about my autonomy. And I would prefer it if for the time being we are less physical or maybe talk about what constitutes as boundaries right now. And this isn't going to be permanent, or at least it doesn't sound like it from the letter. And we can kind of see how I'm feeling in time and 
how we want to address this as two people who care about each other. Yeah, I think what I'll see sometimes from from letter writers is this idea that like whatever my level of physical comfort or sexual receptivity was at the beginning of our relationship, I sort of have an obligation to be at that level or higher. Um, and if I don't, I, I'm kind of cheating my partner. Um and, and certainly I can understand that in any long-term relationships, big shifts in, in sexual intimacy can can bring up a lot of feelings. But, um, you know, this this the, the thing that kind of comes up in this letter is this sense of like, I kind of feel like I'm being unfair. Um, and all that you are saying is uh, when I hear about assault and all the many ways in which mostly men, um, you know, harm and assault uh, mostly women and also trans and non-binary people um, – uh, like in the news, it makes me feel like I'm not safe and it makes me want to like have a little more control and autonomy about the ways in which I get touched in my personal relationship. That's pretty reasonable. Um, like the news right now is a lot. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, you know that your boyfriend has not like gone out of his way to harm you, um, doesn't mean that saying like, hey, when it comes to like spontaneously playful like touches, especially when it's like you grabbing me, um, again, not that those are bad things, but I just need to know that right now I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, and I want to take that off the table for a little while. And I want to be a little more in charge of when we touch and how we touch. And I want to be able to talk about that. That is a very reasonable conversation. There's nothing about that that's like, hey, you're a monster. Hey, you're a bad person. Hey, it's your fault that a lot of men commit sexual assault. Um, that's super okay to ask. And and again, if your boyfriend is a, a reasonable guy, um, if he cares about you, if he's interested in making sure that you two only touch when you're both feeling pretty good about it, his response to that, even if he feels a little like sad or pained, is going to be mostly, I'm really sorry that the world is this way. Um, thank you for telling me this. If I have some, some questions, I want to be able to ask them. I want you to feel comfortable. Yes, let's absolutely do this. And if his response is, I can't believe you're doing this to me. This is totally unfair. Well, I've never tried to like, you know, take advantage of you. So why are I allowed to grab you when the news is like pummeling you with devastation every day? Um, then that would be a sign that he is not such a great guy. Um, but yeah, the for sure to quote, to quote Liz Lemon, that's a deal breaker, ladies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This would, I think, be a good example of trying to figure out, like, um, whether or not you can trust your boyfriend with things like uh, vulnerabilities or, or or wanting to talk about sexism or sexual assault. So if his response is like, man, this is such a drag. I can't believe I'm suffering now. Um, that would not be good. And if his response is, I'm really, really glad you told me. I'm really, really sorry. Uh, I what can we do? What can we change? Um, then that's really good. And it's a sign that you can move forward. But yeah, if like for a while, you're like, I actually just need to not be touched today. Um, or I really want to sleep alone today, because this is so much to deal with. Or um, I, I want to, you know, like touch, but I want to be the one to instigate it. And if after a while, I'm, I, I need to take a break, I want to say so. And I want to know that you'll be there. Um, all of that is totally, totally allowed. And you are not doing anything wrong just because you used to feel comfortable with other things. Um, and and right now you're in a different place and you have different needs. Um, and I, I definitely get why especially the sort of like playful grabbing and slapping right now feels heightened. It's like you don't know when it's going to be coming. You're feeling a little jumpy already. Um, you're not in control of when it happens. Like I really, really get why that feels like the category of like touch that you're not interested in right now. Yeah, and there's nothing in this letter that indicates that the boyfriend wouldn't be supportive or understanding of that. It 
just sounds like you have a pretty happy relationship and an open talk shouldn't hurt that. Right. There's just that fear of like, would even what I requesting, is it wrong or unfair? Is it putting guilt on him? Um, you know, part of what's difficult uh, about this conversation is like, it's rough and unfair that you're having to deal with all of this by virtue of being a woman and watching the news. Like, you didn't ask for this either. So extend some of your compassion towards your boyfriend, towards yourself. Yeah, I think that's always great advice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, except for that like handful of times when I was like, you've extended yourself too much compassion and you need to turn it back outwards. Um, but <laughs> yeah, th- that's definitely not the case uh, in this letter. Um, I'm I'm excited to, to hear your take on this next one because it, it, this is just like guaranteed to get a lot of feedback from a lot of different people because it's about texting and it's about fighting and everybody has at least 30 opinions about that. And so I'm excited for you to read it and I'm excited to hear your take. I have a I have a not so hot take on this. Okay, but, uh, we will get to that. So the subject is texting is leading to more fights. Dear Prudence, as an older millennial, my main form of communication with friends is texting. This doesn't bother me except when it comes to having tough conversations. A lot of my friends have resolved to texting out upsetting instances, apologies, tough decisions instead of coming to me and talking about them in person. If that's how they feel better, I don't mind, but the problem I consistently run into is things being taken the wrong way and blown out of proportion. A gentle, let's talk later, suddenly becomes a much more foreboding, let's talk later. The tone is lost and has led to some unnecessary fights. I suffer from anxiety, and I have a few friends who do as well. So my question is, how can I ask to talk in person without scaring anyone? I don't want to respond until the next time I see them because that also seems like I'm mad and ignoring them. So not the case. A letter writer, I feel you so hard. <laughs> you you are also uh, not a not wanting to call or meet in person to talk about things. Oh no 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 no! I hate the uh, I I think I'm on the other side of uh, let's talk. Text scares me more than any conversation actually ends up doing so. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so I can understand the initial reaction from friends. Um, and I would say, don't just say we need to talk just because that, for me, at least the scary and the anxiety part is the spiral your head goes into of, oh, what are you mad at me about? What did I do? Let me evaluate everything I've done for the last 20 years and see what I could have possibly fixed to not have this conversation. Well, but it, it does sound like in these instances, the letter writer's friends are initiating conversations and the letter writer would like to talk about it in person later. So it's not quite as like, I, I agree, if somebody just says to me like, hey, do you have a minute to talk apropos of nothing? I immediately think, oh, my God, did I kill your dog and forget about it. Um, but so it's it's not quite the like out of the blue text of can we talk? It's more like they try to have this oh, conversation over text and the letter writer's like, can we talk? So I feel like maybe just like an extra line would be helpful, which would be something along the lines of, I really want to talk about this over you. Or I really want to talk about this over you. That's not a sentence. Um, I really want to talk about this with you, but it's difficult to read tone over text. Can I give you a call? Which I feel like yeah, is a little and easier than like, let's wait until we see each other next and just kind of feel stuck. But is also not like you have to drop everything and like, you know, meet me at a coffee shop in 10 minutes. Yeah, I I recently have been a big fan of being like as uh, communicative and upfront as possible because I am not good with subtlety or picking up on it. So I think if you just say something along the lines of like, 
hey, this is a little stressful for me to talk about over text. I would love it if we could meet up and talk about it in person. Uh, I don't want this to be a confrontation or a cause of anxiety. It is just how I feel we will get this resolved better without anything being lost in translation or lost over text. That's, yeah, I I think that's totally, totally lovely. Um, And again, like, it it is difficult when with one person, they're like, anything that's not texting is really difficult for me. And you're like, well, texting is really difficult for me. So that's not to say that it's always going to immediately result in everybody being comfortable. Um, But, you know, it's also worth kind of looking at if a lot of your friends um, only want to text about things that they're upset about or things they want to apologize for, and you try, like, kindly and calmly to say, hey, you know, in my experience, it's a little tricky to talk about stuff with nuance over text because it's easy to misread tone. I would love to just be able to hear one another's voices. And everybody across the board is saying, like, no. Um, You know, it's also certainly worth uh, asking, like, what are you getting out of some of these friendships? Um, Are there ways in which um, you want to move away from that mode of communication? If somebody's like, nope, it's text or nothing, you might want to say, okay, well, I'm going to let this particular conversation go, but maybe back off of this friendship a little. Again, not to say um, nobody who's not willing to meet up with you at a coffee shop every week for conflict resolution is is somebody you should jettison from your social life immediately. Um, But, you know, you say that it's like led to a lot of unnecessary fights. This doesn't seem like a strategy that's actually working really well for everybody. It seems like a strategy that in the short term relieves some anxiety because you don't have to see one another's faces or hear one another's voices. But over time is actually resulting in more conflict, more miscommunication, more misunderstanding. Yeah. I I, I wish I had more to add. I just feel like you summed it up so well. I, I mostly just don't want to take a, a side that's either like, no one should ever text to resolve a conflict because, you know, we should all be, uh, you know, meeting in a uh, like a field and talking like in the olden yeah. days and texting is the enemy. Um, but I also don't want to get into like, hey, if something feels less anxiety inducing in the moment, that's always the best possible choice. Um, so I want to kind of try to walk the line between like texting's not necessarily the problem. But if texting is not working, which it seems like it's not um, to draw a line and and i think ultimately even to say like if your friends are like absolutely not it's texting or nothing like of course you cannot force people to come talk about it in person or to pick up your calls um but you also you know if it's not working and and things are getting like heated or somebody is kind of like going out of their way to misunderstand what you're saying it's also okay to say like hey i think this is no longer um efficient if you want to talk about this later, I would love to speak on the phone or in person, but I'm not going to keep texting about it. So that even if you don't get other people to participate with you um, at a certain point, you can say, all right, this is no longer working for me. I, I am not going to get locked into that like anxious thing where I'm trying to do one thing, but I'm also staring at my phone waiting to see if somebody's getting angrier with me or if they're listening. Because um, that I think many of us have had experiences like that and it is no fun. Yeah, I also, I think it's fair to say there's nothing wrong with, like, asking a friend about this and saying, hey, like, we talked about this over text, and I had a little bit of an issue with it. Uh, I know you maybe are not a huge fan of calling on the phone. Like, how do we meet in the middle in case something like this happens again? Because that's not really a conflict-heavy text. It's just saying, how can we communicate better? And I think everyone appreciates that kind of mindset of how can I be thoughtful to you and have that reciprocated. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully if everyone is coming um, into the conversation, wanting to be helpful and meet somebody else in the middle, um, asking to have quick chats on the phone a little bit more often would be 
um, useful. But it, yeah, because it's not like, listen, you need to like set aside the next hour and have this really stressful. I mean, I will freely admit to like sometimes I'm at home and I'll get a knock on the door and I'll be like, I didn't order any packages. Why would someone want to come to my front door? What's happening? Who would want to see my face? Um, so I can absolutely relate to just like when most of your your many friends and loved ones. Yeah, well, but they don't usually come over to my house uninvited. You know, it's not the show <laughs> step by step. Um, like I do want to acknowledge <laughs> that like primary modes of communication do change, and for a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, if that's the primary mode of communication that you use, it can be a little jarring to shift. But it is good, I think, um, to to be yes. well versed at several different forms of communication. Um, Agreed. Especially ones that require nuance and thoughtfulness, because it's hard to do that over text. And I should answer the door more often. <laughs> but also, like, who's be, coming? Do yeah. be careful about that. Like, who comes to the door? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, I don't. Everybody I know would um, call. They would text before they came over. Um, the one exception, of course, is Halloween. Every year, I get really, really excited, and. Um, very timely. I've been getting fewer and fewer trick-or-treaters so this last year. I was like, come on, doorbell. And it didn't happen. Oh, you want more? Yes, I love it. Are you kidding me? Well, I mean, so I am I come from a suburban home. Same. So we're very used to getting trick-or-treaters. Uh, but it was never, like, it was a happy occasion, but it was not like, we're jonesing for more kids on our front doorstep. Well, you know, I mean, obviously it changed, like, as I got older and, like, had my own place. I would often live in neighborhoods where there was not a oh, ton of trick-or-treating. So when I finally moved to a neighborhood with a lot of kids, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm basically Halloween Santa Claus. And trick-or-treaters are all done by, like, eight, so you can still go out and do whatever you want afterwards. Huh. Yeah. Do you decorate for Halloween? I don't. I'm not that fancy. Oh, see, neither did we, and I think that's a big part of it. Oh, you think they don't go up to the houses unless you decorate? I don't think it's unless. I think it has to be on their way and have no decorations. But you know the neighborhoods, especially coming from a suburban background of, like, the neighborhoods where it's a competition and all the children ask their parents to drive them out there for full-size candy bars. Definitely not my neighborhood. Lots of light-up adventures. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, look, I want to hand out candy. I want to bring people joy, but I'm not going to, like, put up decorations. I'm not... I'm not a, I'm just, I'm just one man, you know, I'm not yes. that special. That's the right, that's the way, way to approach this. And if kids don't show up, you have a big bowl of candy. I do. I ate so many Butterfingers last year. Okay. Um, <laughs> at this point, I'm like just itching to get to this next letter because I know it's your favorite and the subject is seeking sperm. And that's just exactly what this letter is about. Dear Prudence, I'm ready to start a family. It's been on my mind for years. I have money put aside. I'm in a good place career-wise, etc. But I don't have a boyfriend, and I don't particularly want one. Fertility treatments are expensive. Is it ethical to have STI-tested, unprotected sex with one-night stands and decline to tell them I'm not on birth control? This is great. This also feels a little bit like a troll, but, you know, who cares? Um, Even if it is, it's a worthwhile question for answering because it's a very bad thing to do. It is not ethical to do that. No, not at all. And more than not ethical, um, it's not in your best interests. Because, for example, if you did do this and a child did result and that other person ever found out, they could sue for equal custody. Um, You know, like, you could be in in all manner uh, of, of, uh, like, tied up in the courts for years to come. Um, Yeah. So... I also believe this can be uh, a consent issue because the other party is not uh, agreeing to something. Yeah. And I, it is of that nature. And 
we don't want to do that to people because it's bad. Yeah. Trapping people or tricking people. Again, like I, I do understand that, uh, you know, whenever any of us do engage in, in, in sex, it's good for all of us to take our own reproductive um, health and control into uh, into mind, into heart. What's the expression I'm looking for? In mind? I don't know. At any rate, the point is, um, yeah, don't don't try to like don't try to get um, somebody to knock you up without at least one conversation, I guess, is the official take of the prudence column. Um, and to that end, like, uh, that is what sperm clinics are for. Like, there are literally dudes who are like, I will sell semen and not bother you. Like, it is a guaranteed, uh, you're not going to get bothered by this person. Um and I don't think that that's as expensive as fertility treatments. And again, like if part of what you need is like a guaranteed uh, fetus at the other side, um, you know, you you won't. There's no guarantee the first guy is going to be fertile. Do you know what I mean? Like everything about the plan is less good than going down to the sperm bank and coughing up whatever money they need for the sperm. Yeah. And especially with because it does kind of sound like just a random one night stand like. You don't know anything about the person. You don't know. Like there are too in there are too many factors up in the air for my uh feeling of like, yes, this is a good idea. Whereas like, isn't there like a notebook at a sperm bank that you can flip through of like potential donors who are who you know like their medical and background and know all these things that are helpful to know when thinking about having a baby? Right. And it would be so much easier than like if this is going to be a one night stand, like how are you going to I feel like it's going to be a little tricky to be like this is a one night stand, but I do need to see a recent STI test. Like that's an intimate conversation with someone that you hope doesn't remember you. Right. Like they're probably going to remember the person who demanded paperwork. Um, Also, I just looked up spermbankcalifornia.com. Um, just to take a look at like program services and it looks like donor consultation and photo matching is $100 and standard ICI vial of donor sperm for intracervical insemination is $350. So, uh, you know, it's not cheap, but it's not like um, it's probably cheaper than lawyer's fees you would have to pay if the guy ever wanted to take you to court. Yeah. And the letter writer says they have some money put aside that they feel can support a child, I feel like $450 out of that would not hurt your child's yeah. life. Yeah. And and it would be a lot easier to talk about with your child than if they ever wanted to know, like, do I have a, a father? Do I have another parent? What's the story of how I came to be? Um, that's going to be a much easier conversation than like, well, I lied to a dude. A stranger. Yeah, no, like, I'm. by the way, I'm now getting flashbacks to that awful subplot in season one of The L Word when Bat and Tina, like, for some inexplicable reason, decide to try to do this instead of going to a sperm bank. And then the guy, understandably, realizes what they're trying to do and flips out. Um, and then they're like, <laughs> in the next episode, they're just like, let's go to a sperm bank. That was stupid. Yeah. Um, and that was a terrible show. Well, let's let's skip all those steps then. Yeah, if, if the thing that you're about to do is like, would Bet and Tina have done this on the L word? Don't do it. <laughs> they uh, were jerks. Oh, now I actually just want to do an episode where we... Did you ever watch that show? I know it was before your time, but like, it, it's been on Netflix for a couple of years. I have not yet, but I, I'm aware that I should. If you um, ever wanted to text me all of your thoughts as you watched through it, 
It is yeah. just an amazing time capsule of some really bad clothes people wore around 2004. Um, oh, I, yeah. This is now all I care about is getting you to watch this ridiculous show and texting me every thought that you have. I would also just like to make a clarifying point. Uh, I was born in 1995. So I am. I was too young to have watched the L word, but I was not born after two thousand and four. Yes, no, sorry, I did not mean to make it sound like before your time meant that um, meant that I had like a fourteen year old guest on the show that I was trying to talk to about issues like um, you know tricking men into giving up their sperm. I would not. I mean, if they're reading Teen Vogue, I do trust them to give good advice. I have no comment, and I would like to move on to the next letter. <gasps> Whenever you're ready, this one's all you. Deal. Uh, So the subject is iced out by friends. This is also a very well-written subject line. Yeah, but I don't really want to give them credit for it. (laughs) Um, My husband has been a federal agent for nearly 20 years and has been with ICE since it formed. His areas of investigation are human trafficking and the financial network that support it. He doesn't take part in the kind of detention or removal actions that have been in the news the past couple of years. He's saved nearly 100 women and children from a life of slavery and put dozens of criminals in prison. He's also a hero to a lot of people, including me. But lately, quite a few friends have become shutting us out of their OSHA lives. To be more specific, they've been shutting my husband out. They'll call me with an invitation, but with an excuse like, we could only get a table for five, so it'll have to be just you. Some have been more blunt, simply saying my husband can't come. These are all decent, rational people who seemed proud in the past to have an honorable law enforcement officer among their friends. They know he doesn't put kids in cages, but I understand they might be uncomfortable just by association. To be honest, when people ask me what my husband does these days, I don't automatically offer up that he's a special agent with ICE. This social stigma is starting to really depress my husband. How can I show him how proud I am of the job he does and encourage our friends to do the same? And how should I respond to people who offer up flimsy excuses to exclude him? So, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think the letter writer is, uh, I would encourage the letter writer to look at it from a different angle. Um, if you work for a company that part of the time puts children in cages and part of the time doesn't, um, the fact that you work in the non-kids in cages division um, is not, in fact, um, the like difference that you think it is. You work for a bad company and you should get a different job. Um, so the fact that, you know, while ICE uh, ha- has been, you know, committing human rights abuses for since its inception, um, uh, the fact that only now are some of your friends uh, a little more aware of it and are starting to put a little social pressure on you and your husband um, is a good thing. They should have been doing more of it and they should have been doing it sooner. Um, they should be more overt about it. There should be a huge social stigma uh, about being an ICE officer and there should not be a sense of I am an honorable law enforcement officer because only some of my coworkers put children in cages. Um, your husband should quit his job uh, and think very seriously about how he could begin to make amends um, uh, for the harms that he has done by participating um, in this organization over the years. Um, and you should thank your friends um, for icing you out. That's that's going to be my take on that one. No, and I think that is the right approach. And I think if you re- like really sit down with him and say like, "Hey, 
can we talk about the fact that the place you work does put kids in cages? There's no accusation directly on him of like, you are putting a child in a cage, but can you really exist doing like working for the company you do knowing they do that and feel a complete separation? Like, I think just having that conversation with him will kind I mean, I hope help because it's, it feels like he's compartmentalizing and being like, well, I was never part of the putting kids in cages division. So it's not my fault. So why are people mad at me? Yeah. But that's a hell. It's just a hell of a sentence, right? Like, yeah. You know why they might be uncomfortable by association. Yeah. I, I also get why they might be uncomfortable just by association. I think. Yeah. I I don't think I could say like, this is my friend in ice, but one of the good ones. Yeah, you know, it's not a good organization. Um, You know, that's that's kind of that's kind of all I got with you on this one. This is not like uh, a couple of bad apples have spoiled this like, you know, 20 year old organization like formed in the like highly xenophobic jingoistic aftermath of September 11th designed to like tighten the borders and like deport people. Um, that's a bad organization. It does bad things. Um, yeah. Uh, and and so this idea of like, well, some of the work that they do is bad, but look at all the children they don't put in cages. Um, it's not a good. It's it, it's, and, it's not a good response. Yeah, and I feel like your husband can find something that is rewarding and makes you and your friends proud of him. That does not involve working for an organization that puts kids in cages. Like, I I know we keep touching on this point, but that is the real problem. Yeah, there's a lot of organizations that, like, if your primary concern was helping people um, who are unfairly taken advantage of and victimized, there are a lot of organizations that do that uh, that don't also detain children. Um, And if part of the work that your husband does um, is so that they can point to that and say, see, don't pay attention to the children in cages, pay attention to this, then the work that he does is an evil distraction. Um, at best. So, you know, your friends are right. Uh, you and your husband are wrong. Um, I hope, frankly, it gets harder for you and your husband to find restaurants to eat at um, because I believe that uh, there should be strong, strong social pressure um, not to help organizations uh, separate children from their parents and keep them in cages. Um, and if that means that it's harder for y'all to find a place to eat dinner out with your friends, uh, I think that's fair and appropriate. So more of that. Yeah. And I think I think the letter writer has expressed this feeling of like not understanding how to really deal with their own feeling of like, oh, like this is bad. Like the best way to deal with it is just to leave that job, not be associated and be like, yeah, everyone was right. It's a bad organization. We want We want to make sure that we are on the right side here and doing something good that you are proud of us to be proud to be associating with us for that that's a good nagging feeling yeah yeah some sometimes um I, 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 you know sometimes social pressure is really good and really necessary i think this is one of those cases i think the fact that um you and your friends were able to for a long time convince yourselves that he was not helping further the causes uh, of an evil organization uh, that was that was the delusion um that was the fantasy this is the reality um, so it's not people used to get it, but now because there have been a couple of real unfortunate pictures of what my husband's company does, um, now people are getting the wrong impression by looking at the things my husband's company did. Um, 
this is the good thing and before was wrong. Before was active ignorance, looking away, um, not worrying about things that did not concern you and your social circle. And now they are doing the right thing. Um, so that's, yeah, your husband needs to tell Hank Scorpio he is done working for Globocorp and not be affiliated with an evil organization anymore. Sorry, the sugar's not in packets. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So um, keeping in the theme of this is, by the way, like I think the second or third time I have referenced the you only move twice on the air in the last couple of weeks, like not even just that particular season, but that particular episode. Oh, it is. One of the best episodes of The Simpsons. It is. I, I'm like biting back roughly eight different quotes from that moment right now. So. Same. Let's keep going. Let's keep on. Keep on moving. Um, here is something that I don't think Hank Scorpio would ever do. Uh, the subject is boss faux pas. Dear Prudence, I am a teacher and I made the mistake of letting coworkers add me on social media. I recently went on vacation with the guy I'm dating and my boss commented on a photo. Who is that? He looks like one of our 11th graders. I'm 25 and my boyfriend is 28. He's skinny and you couldn't really see his face in the photo, so I guess he looks young, but what on earth? Why would she write that? I've since made it so that my coworkers cannot see my posts, but I'm not sure if I should confront my boss or not. I didn't comment back because it felt so awkward to say, that's my 28-year-old boyfriend, not one of our students. It's Friday now and I get back to work on Monday. Should I say something? So my initial reaction is to absolutely say something and you need to make sure this is nipped in the bud because even if this was meant as some sort of haha wink wink joke that is super inappropriate and you do not want that floated out there especially by someone you work for yeah which is just the bonkers part of it to me that everything about that is just like a, a nightmare situation with a boss and it, it yeah as you say best case scenario it was an extreme lapse of judgment um but given that it's been several days and the boss has not apparently gotten in touch to say, like, I deleted the comment. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that you do need to say something. And the great news is you are on just, like, real reasonable ground here. Like, all you need to say is, hey, I need to talk to you about this. Um, the comment that you left on that picture of me and my boyfriend um, was totally inappropriate and totally baffling. Um uh, not that I need to go uh, like into detail about my personal life with you, um, but my boyfriend is 28. Um, I don't take vacations with students. Um, I, I don't want you to comment on the appearance of my boyfriend. Um, please don't do that again. Um, I, I guess you probably shouldn't say what the hell to your boss, but just, yeah, just make it really clear um, that that was not an okay joke to have made um, and that they need to never do it again. Yeah, and there is the possibility that they will try to be like, oh, like, you know, it was just meant as a joke. Don't worry about it. Like, you have to come down harder and just be like, look, if you are making this, if you are putting that line of thought out there to teachers, mm -hmm. it is dangerous to our reputation, the school's reputation, the boss's reputation since they work at a school. Right. And also just don't comment on your co-workers personal lives that have nothing to do with you and was not brought up to you yeah it is inappropriate and not nice yeah absolutely to say like i take my responsibilities as a teacher really seriously um even jokes about something like that i, I don't think are funny i would never want my students to think that i or any of my colleagues or my supervisors would joke about something like that um and i need you to not do that again um and then you know i certainly also like mention it to your boss's boss like um 
this is one of those things where uh, like HR is not always the most helpful place in the world. And I don't even know if your school has one, but, um, you know, take this one up the chain um, just just to put it on record of like um, this made me really uncomfortable. I need for it to not happen again um, because yeah. that could go so and honestly, south so fast. Yeah, that kind of lapse in judgment deserves attention from his from his or her boss. Yeah. Like that that's one that's just never cool. No, nothing about that is like, oh, man, I can see how a reasonable person on a bad day might say something like that. Um, The fact that it was on social media, the fact that your boss typed it out, the fact that your boss left it up, um, the fact that your boss did not have to do any of those things um, is just totally bonkers. Yeah. Whew. I, yeah, I I am so, so, so sorry that that is something that your boss said to you. And um, I also hope it didn't ruin the letter writer's vacation. Uh, yeah, I mean, would... I, I don't think that it would either. Like, they don't, they don't say like it brought, it made me realize that my boyfriend looks incredibly young and I now feel incredibly stressed out. They're like, no, he's just like a thin guy with a headless shot. I guess he looks a little young, but no, he does not look like an 11th grader. Oh, I just meant because they were, they are clearly a little worried about like, how do I dress this when I get back? And God. I know the way I think would be oh, no, I can only agonize about this while I'm on my limited vacations gotcha. with my significant other. And that is a bummer. Yes. No, I, I agree. <laughs> that is uh, super, super stressful. And I'm also really glad that you have since toggled your um, filters so that people cannot make that comment. But yeah, man, way to way to ruin everything for everybody, boss. Yeah. Just because I, I also will say, I mean, I only have so much work experience, but I don't think it's always a bad idea to add coworkers on social media. Sometimes it can be nice. Yeah. Your boss is just crazy. Yeah, it was definitely just I like, shouldn't use that phrasing. I, I I know what you mean though. Like your boss is like I, I would not have expected that if I worked with otherwise reasonable people. Um and I was friendly with a couple of them and we had like a shared uh like Instagram network. I would not expect someone to jump in saying that. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Oh. Just. Well, Tyler, we did it. We have tried to push the world slowly, slightly in the direction of... Kindness? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, 2018 motivation. Let's all move towards kindness. Yeah. What um? What is your best piece of general advice that you would, if you could, give listeners of the show? What would you like everyone to take away from this? Um. Well, I guess I'll go with applicable. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out to writers you admire very much on Twitter because sometimes they become good friends and have you on their very nice podcast. And get to have uh, wonderful texting-based relationships about the television program <laughs> The L Word. Oh, yes. I mean, now I feel like I need to watch. I need to finish this season of BoJack, but I will start watching The L Word after that, probably, if I, for no other reason, so I that just, I can like, text you all my thoughts. I really want to apologize again when I tell you it is not a good show. Um, and yet I also hold it very near and dear to my heart. When I was... That has never stopped me. When I was in college, um, I went to a Christian college in suburban Los Angeles. Um, and there were a very, very small group of gay students uh, who were mostly not out, who would take weekly expeditions to West Hollywood. Um, and at the time, they were still filming like the last couple seasons of The L Word. And we would always try to go to the Abbey to see if we could see the cast. And it was the sort of thing where every week we'd be like, I'm pretty sure that's Lisa Haley. I'm pretty sure that's her. It was never her. We never saw anyone. But like, we really needed that win. So we were like, maybe that's who that was. Maybe we saw someone famous today. Let's go back to campus. You had you had formed your little own L watch. It was yeah, you know, we were 
we were doing a lot at the time. We we had a lot going on, and we we took the wins where we could find them. Uh, Tyler, I'm all for it. Thank you so so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it so much, and I hope you have a fabulous rest of the day. Thank you. I, it was so nice being on the show. I'm a longtime listener, so this was very very fun. Longtime listener, first time caller. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus, and our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute, tops. Thanks for listening.